This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. What's the exact cause of hundreds of lung illnesses related to vaping around the nation? Public health officials still don't know, and the uncertainty has led to bans in several states, including in nearby Massachusetts. Today, where we live, we take a look at vaping and why e-cigarettes have soared in popularity, especially among the young. Coming up, we'll talk with a researcher about vaping trends, and we're going to hear from a local high school student. Now, when e-cigarettes came onto the market, they were sold as the safer alternative to nicotine cigarettes. How will the heightened scrutiny, scrutiny rather, on these products and vaping impact the decline in cigarette smokers? We'll find out. And we also want to hear from you. Do you vape? You can join our conversation, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, my first guest is joining me now in studio, Barbara Walsh. Barbara Walsh, rather, supervisor of DPHs or the Connecticut Department of Public Health's Tobacco Control Program. Barbara, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, we uh, and our listeners have uh, been seeing and hearing uh, this news about hundreds of cases of this severe lung illness that have uh, popped up around the country. The CDC putting out numbers uh, late last week, more than 800 cases of Americans with lung illnesses associated or related uh, to vaping, uh, causing 12 deaths in 10 states. So what does this look like in Connecticut? How many cases to date? Well, in Connecticut so far, we're, we have 18 cases. Um, luckily, none of those have resulted in death. Um, and we see um, that half of those ha- uh, were pretty severely ill and had to be treated in the ICU, intensive care unit, um, and, but all have been subsequently released from the hospital. They started out, the majority of our cases have been in Fairfield County, but we see that moving up um, five in New Haven and then one each, Hartford, New Haven, Talent, and Wyndham counties. Can you tell us more about, I know you obviously uh, because of uh, uh, HIPAA and mm-hmm. health concerns, but in terms of who the people that are being affected, uh, the age range of these 18? Yes, unfortunately, um, the majority are people under 35. Um, Four of our cases have been under 18 years of age, and then 11 have been in the 18 to 34-year-old age range, Mm -hmm. with three over the age of 35. And you mentioned uh, that uh, half of these cases, uh, nine individuals, have had to be treated at the intensive care unit. So that's very serious. Can you talk about um, what these illnesses look like and what they experience before having to be hospitalized? Yeah. What we um, so initially, you know, what people tend to um, you know complain about is that they are having a cough uh, and a shortness of breath, You're having difficulty breathing. Um, they've also experienced fever, um, fatigue, and they also have some abdominal pain. Um, the, when they come in, typically they present as having some kind of a lung infection, and, and um, frequently they're treated for that, but the antibiotics do not help the, it to get better, so they get sicker as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we talk about the heightened attention around these cases, when did they really start to pop up here in Connecticut when public health officials here realized that there's a connection? It was about the third or fourth week of August, I think, when we started. And it really, um, you know, once it began to be publicized across the country is when, you know, the doctors were more likely to be able to connect that, oh, wait, this is what I'm seeing, and this is one of those type of vaping illnesses. 
Uh, we're talking with you as supervisor of the uh, Department of Public Health's Tobacco Control Program. Uh, I've mentioned e-cigarettes and vaping. For people who are not familiar with e-cigarettes or even what vaping is, can you uh, talk us through some of the products uh, that are out there on the market that people have been using for several years now? Definitely. So in about 2007, I think these devices started coming on the market. And the early uh, generation of products were, they kind of looked like fake cigarettes. They had like a, they were disposable. They could just be kind of turned on and um, you inhale an aerosol from them. Um, and then as it has progressed, they have come to a number of different types of devices. Some are disposable, some are refillable. Um, many now have these disposable little pods that they can use, which is like a little cartridge of, of um, liquid that's put into them. You vape or inhale the aerosol. Um, and unfortunately, over this period of time, um, with all of these different devices that have been introduced to the market, there's been a lot of um, companion um, oils, liquids that have been created to use in these devices. And um, so th what we're seeing, especially with these illnesses, is that people are vaping kind of a wide variety of substances um, and products. And that's what's making it so difficult to figure out what the trouble is. And of the 18 individuals in Connecticut um, who um, had to be treated at a hospital, uh, all of them vaped a particular product? Um, well, of the so no, actually, <laughs> it's a wide variety of products. Um, we don't. What we do have for, um, and what we did publicize already was that of the nine full interviews that we have completed, those nine happen to all also use THC products, which have been identified in a, a number of the cases, but not the, all. Yeah. <laughs> not all, but many of the cases. So half of the cases um, using e-cigarettes that um, involve THC, this is the component found, the uh, chemical component in, in psychoactive component found in marijuana. Right. Um, of the other nine, uh, because of their illnesses, you have not been able to talk with them? We have not fully completed the interviews. It's very uh, time-consuming process, hard to get a hold of people. Mm -hmm. You know, some people don't really want to talk about it after, you know, once they're feeling better, they move on and don't necessarily want to talk to us. Uh, but you did mention the, the THC component. This is something that public health officials have also talked about um, in other states around the country. Again, these are readily available. Whether do they can they go online to get them? Uh, there is a, a, a black market, so to speak, there for these is, cartridges? Uh, apparently, there's a wide market for many of these products, yes. Um, and I do want to stress, um, I know that there's, you know, kind of widespread rumors that it's just the THC, but we don't have any confirmation that it really is only THC projects, products that need to be uh, aware of. There's, um, you know, a lot of kind of chemistry going on with mixing these oils and other things in to create uh, substances that people then want to vape. 
And so um, that's what's making it so complicated to find exactly what it is that's causing these illnesses. We've also talked about on the show uh, CBD. So there are CBD vapes uh, available online that people are also using. Uh, You're hearing Barbara Walsh, who's supervisor of Connecticut's Department of Public Health's Tobacco Control Program. As we uh, explore uh, vaping, uh, this is uh, something that uh, many Americans, especially young people, um, have been doing using e-cigarettes, as Barbara mentioned, these products uh, coming on the market since 2007. You can join our conversation, especially if you vape and how you're reacting to news about, uh, again, more than 800 uh, illnesses, uh, severe lung illnesses across the country that have been reported uh, related to vaping. Again, public health officials and doctors not knowing the exact cause or what the particular uh, uh, ingredient is in some of these uh, vaping products causing these illnesses. But we are talking about that today, and you can join us too. I wanted to take a quick call. Paul in Hartford is on the line. Paul, go ahead. Yeah, hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. So um, I used uh, nicotine uh, vaping for many years before it was popular, before. I mean, I had to get my stuff on the Internet, and it helped me quit smoking. It helped me titrate down because I was able to mix my own liquid. Now, I, I think those glory days of, you know, the Wild West on the Internet are over, but I think doing stuff like what Massachusetts is doing is a really bad idea. I think it's going to push kids to go even further searching. And what I mean by Massachusetts is banning the e-cigarettes altogether is it's going to push kids to go to even more distant places to get even shadier stuff. And I myself am a medical marijuana patient and vape uh, their cartridges, the state cartridges. And I walked in there and I said, hey, what's going on, guys? Is there going to be a problem for my health? And they said, absolutely not. They said, we are totally confident and that this is a bootleg kind of thing that's going on in this country and that we have total confidence that our cartridges will cause no health problems whatsoever. Mm. Did that give you peace of mind? Yes, it does. I mean, I really, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had my problems with the medical marijuana program, but I don't think that they would give me a cartridge and send me away and say, you know, and risk, you know, the state getting in trouble and everything like that. And you have to understand is the, the patients in this in this state have, I mean, the, the, the rise in number is huge. So you still have thousands and thousands of people smoking these medical marijuana carts and they're not getting sick. So, I mean, you know, I, I talked to them and they said it was something to do with vitamin E, they suspected. And I don't know if it's... Uh, you know, that's just what I heard. I'm not a All right. Well, Paul, we, we thank you for your call. You actually brought up a couple of things that I want to raise with Barbara Walsh, who is a public health official here in the state of Connecticut. Uh, when uh, he asked, uh, when he, again, is uh, getting uh, products from a medical marijuana dispensary, which is legal in the state of Connecticut, uh, hearing from uh, the staff that uh, our products are safe, should they be saying that? Because, again, do public health officials really know? Well, we still don't know what it is that's causing the illness. So um, although we are really um, kind of focusing on warning people more about the off-brand products, the bought-on-the-street products, et cetera, um, we haven't been able to identify what it is exactly that's causing the illness. And yes, I sound like a broken record after a while because, um, you know, we, we can't say 
absolutely, this is okay, this is not okay. That is, you know, that other thing is not okay. And of the 18 individuals in Connecticut, um, have any of them uh, purchased vaping products from a dispensary? That I'm not at liberty to share at this point. Well, we wanted to also bring up something that Paul said. Uh, he said that uh, vaping has helped him quit cigarettes. So joining us now uh, by phone here on Where We Live is Dr. Andrew Highland, public health researcher at Roswell, Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center. That's in Buffalo, New York. Dr. Highland, uh, welcome back to the show. We actually spoke a year ago about e-cigarettes. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. I'm not sure if you were able to hear uh, the listener who called in, Paul, but um, I wanted to bring uh, that up where he said that uh, using e-cigarettes uh, has helped him uh, get off uh, using traditional cigarettes. And is this something that's uh, fairly common? What do we know? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great question and a great observation. Uh, with e-cigarettes, we see pretty much everything going on. Uh, so certainly uh, kids are using them, and we see some of those kids transition to cigarette smoking. Um, we see adults looking to get away from cigarette smoking, uh, just as the caller indicated, using e-cigarettes. In fact, e-cigarettes are the most common method cigarette smokers report using with their quit smoking efforts uh, now. So uh, lots of uh, uh, attractiveness, I think, in that regard. Um, in terms of the evidence, and the, the medical studies are not yet conclusive that e-cigarettes will boost your chance of quitting cigarette smoking. Um, however, um, a, a couple of caveats on that. It takes a little while for the medical evidence, for the studies to be done, the papers to come out. Uh, the two most recent papers, uh, in, and in particular, I think the best study done to date, uh, published last December, do seem to show a, a bit of an advantage with the e-cigarettes. Not a cure-all, it's not a magic pill, uh, but uh, that evidence has continued to evolve. Um, but uh, also at the anecdotal level, just as, as the caller had, I think, a very compelling story, uh, the, I, I run the New York Smokers Quit Line. Um, we help about 40,000 people a year with their quit cigarette smoking efforts, and I hear a lot of stories very similar to that. I tried to quit smoking. I tried everything. Nothing worked until I tried e-cigarettes. And uh, anecdotes are not a replacement for the medical evidence, but in my view, there's, uh, there's reason to think that at least for some people, e-cigarettes may be the tool that helps them finally kick cigarette smoking for good. Uh, I mentioned you're in uh, New York State. Uh, as uh, this uh, news has uh, spread around the country, uh, these uh, public health issues and uh, hundreds of cases of these severe lung illnesses, um, how has New York State uh, been uh, you know, guiding residents who uh, are using uh, e-cigarettes and from people even calling your hotline? Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I think the, the guidance is similar to what Barbara had shared, which is we're not sure. Uh, there does seem to be an indication in New York they have taken maybe a little bit of a step further suggesting that it is uh, the majority of the cases they're seeing are THC uh, related so people vaping cannabis uh, and that the vitamin E acetate and oil associated uh, with the uh, cannabis vaping not in every case uh, so it still remains to be definitively identified but uh, that seems to be where things are going in New York. Uh, from a policy development, um, there has been a focus on the flavored e-cigarette products. And this is not it necessarily in direct application 
to the, the pulmonary events that are being seen, to the lung injuries that are being seen. But really, I think it's opened up a bigger picture about vaping, vaping products, and their role in the in a nicotine delivery marketplace uh, that's there. Um, in terms of our calls to the quit line, um, we uh, traditionally we're the New York State Smokers Quit Line, uh, so we get. Uh, a lot of people call us every day looking for help quitting smoking. We get some uh, e-cigarette users that call us looking for help quitting vaping. It's a small number, uh, and uh, it, with the recent developments, there's been increased effort to make sure that there are services that, uh, to provide to those people uh, so that those that do come think they're hooked on nicotine or trying to get off of the e-cigarettes uh, for those folks, uh, that there are some resources uh, to, to do that. But uh, I'll say, though, really, the, the addiction literature uh, is relatively new in terms of how one would treat uh, someone that comes in with, a, with a, an e-cigarette addiction. Nicotine's pretty broad, uh, but e-cigarettes, sometimes could, there can be some nuances to how that's done. So that's a summary of where things are in New York. Uh, Dr. Highland, Kevin writes on our Facebook page, uh, what about those smokers who have no desire to quit, who use vaping as a safer alternative to smoking? Those people, if vaping is not an option, will not turn to patches or gum, but rather to cigarettes. Uh, what is your uh, recommendation for people who are addicted to nicotine and for uh, some time have been using vaping? Uh, what do they do? Yeah, so uh, my first and foremost recommendation is quit cigarette smoking. Um, quitting cigarette smoking it, uh, will have the, the largest uh, advantage for your health. The toxins, the dangers of cigarette smoking, we're talking about vaping here, but to put into some context, every four minutes in the United States, someone dies from lung cancer caused by cigarette smoking. Every four minutes, about 130,000 people a year. So certainly these events that we're talking about here with the pulmonary risk and, and the uh, vaping issue is critically important. But the cigarette smoking is so dangerous, quitting cigarette smoking is the most important thing people can do. Uh, if people are looking to, to vape and uh, to switch completely away from cigarette smoking with vaping, that's a great step. That's a great step, but you need to com switch completely away and get off the cigarettes completely. And the CDC, that's uh, part of their recommendation. Um, but I think certainly all the CDC and myself and just about everybody else would say the safest thing would be to stop using all nicotine products altogether. Uh, but if uh, you had one thing to do, it's get off the cigarette smoking. And likewise, with these pulmonary events and in the latest guidance from the CDC, while they are recommending caution, we're not sure exactly what's hap uh, causing these uh, pulmonary events, they, their, their guidance is do not go back to cigarette smoking. Uh, and that's the state of where things are uh, with these events. That's Dr. Andrew Hyland, public health researcher at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. Also joining us in studio, Barbara Walsh, supervisor of the Connecticut Department of Public Health's Tobacco Control Program. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. This is where we live. After the break, uh, e-cigarettes are widely used by young people. We're going to hear from a Connecticut high school student about the popularity of vaping, and we're going to continue to take your questions, too. You can join us, 888-720-WMPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Starting today in Connecticut, you must be at least 21 years of age to buy tobacco or vaping products. This is the use of e-cigarettes. But e-cigarettes have been on the market for several years now, and their use among teens across the country has grown rapidly. A study by the State Department of Public Health in Connecticut last fall found the number of Connecticut high school students who used vaping products doubled from 2015 to 2017. Nearly 15% of high High school students say they vape. Is your child one of them? How have you talked about vaping as the number of cases of severe lung injuries related to e-cigarette use continues to grow nationwide? You can join us, 888-720-WMPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to go to a student. Uh, Tyree McMillan is a sophomore at Newington High School in Connecticut. Tyree, welcome to the show. Hi. So I mentioned you're a high school student. We're talking about vaping today. Uh, we're hearing that e-cigarette use um, has grown among young people. So is this something that you have tried or this is something that your friends do? Um, I personally have not tried it due to my mother being very strict about it. Good. <laughs> but I have many friends around me and people that I know that have done it in the past years. Mm. So tell us when we talk about vaping, what are they using and why are they using it? Um, I have friends who use um, dab pens, jewels, blues, you know, the main ones. And I think they use it for social acceptance, but also for probably some coping mechanisms that they have. Mm. But sometimes it's just like they just do it because they want to. And uh, because uh, you know of people that are vaping, are they doing this uh, in school, out of school? And what um, any involvement from um, school officials on um, the use of e-cigarettes? Um, so some people do it inside school, like in the bathrooms and like the handicap stall, closed door, you know, all that. Some people do it at the football games and like all the way under the bleachers or something. And pretty much wherever people can't really catch them doing it or it's really um, hidden. Mm. And school officials have put up um, punishments for being caught vaping since it is against the law. And we have more information about it here. But a lot, a lot more needs to be done because mm. a lot of them need more mental help with it than physical. That's an important point you just raised, Tyree McMillan, uh, again, a sophomore at Newington High School. Uh, it's not as it's so easy uh, to quit. You mentioned that some of your peers might be doing it uh, to cope uh, with something going on in their life. And so um, as a student at Newington High School, I mean, how do you want your teachers, your principal, um, guidance counselors addressing uh, this issue, especially if students are addicted to vaping? Well, since it is an addiction and it's a coping mechanism, I think they should go about it, in, if it's a coping mechanism, to go about it as if someone was dealing with depression or anxiety because sometimes vaping stems from those issues. So if, more, if it stems from that, like help them in a way that they could get off of it easier and safer. But if they're doing it for fun, then still help them in that way mm-hmm. that that have them have the support that they need in here and having, you know, programs that they can do to help them get out of it. But still, if they're just doing it here and there and they're not really addicted, condemn them for what they need. But that's all I really, yeah. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you as well, um, you mentioned that, you know, you have friends who vape. Um, Have they struggled to quit? I have a friend who did quit, and she said that it, she struggled. She struggled to quit very hard, and she said that there was times where she wanted to go back, but she knew it was for better of her system and her body that she needed to quit, but she said it was very tempting to go back. I know that you're actually calling us from school. We don't want to take you uh, too uh, long from your classes, Tyree. But before we let you go, um, as we talk about uh, this uh, public health issue, um, also how uh, different states and uh, their governors are considering bans on vaping, I mean, what's your perspective, your advice uh, to lawmakers here in in the state of Connecticut? Um, I say in Connecticut, for people that are over the age of 21 and doing it to get off of smoking and to help them in a way, I say, you know, let them do it, and if they get too out of control, then, you know, cut back. But for people that are under the age of 21 and us teenagers, then we need to help them in a way because a lot of doing for, again, coping mechanisms. And, you know, if we put laws in there to... Because I remember how Senator Blumenthal said he wanted, like, prescriptions on it. I don't think that would personally help anyone for it to get off of smoking, but there's always ways to get it. But as long as we help them in a way and laws are in place in helping and not fully just condemning and punishing and there's ways to help, I think it will be all good. That's Tyree McMillan, a sophomore at Newington High School. Tyree, thanks for your perspective. We, we enjoyed hearing from you today on Where We Live. You're welcome. I wanted to get response from my other guests, uh, too, uh, Tyree McMillan. In studio with me is Barbara Walsh, supervisor of the Connecticut Department of Public Health's Tobacco Control Program. Uh, Barbara, respond to what you heard from Tyree, especially the punitive part. You know, what guidance does the Department of Public Health, can they give guidance to the Department of Education and these uh, very different school boards that come up with policies related to vaping in school? So uh, we have been um, working with the State Department of Education for getting some messaging out to the schools. And um, the whole addiction part of this is very um, important because kids have not realized um, inherently that what they're vaping has nicotine in it to begin with. And on top of that, it's got very high levels of nicotine in some of those products. Um, we use Juul as an example because Juul has such a large percentage of the market. Because um, it's flavored? That was the... Well, that's, well they, they, um, because of the way it was um, originally marketed, developed, you know, it's a sleek little device. It's easy to hide in your sleeve or, you know, hide in your sweatshirt or, you know. So um, it became quickly very popular with kids. Um, but it's, you know, they've it's a, got a high level of nicotine. It's got like 5%, which means that one pot equals about the amount of nicotine in a pack of cigarettes, and the kids were, you know, going through that fairly quickly. Um, Now, there was a lot of sharing among teens and all of that, and the whole friends aspect is also something that, but uh, we have a lot of teens now addicted to nicotine. So there's kind of a faction of looking at them as more like victims than as being punitive, Um, And so we've been working with schools really on establishing policies that would help for these kids to understand, too, what's going on um, and also to um, work with the kids to help them Mm -hmm. quit. 
I referenced that uh, that study that the Department of Public Health released uh, last year looking at uh, vaping, e-cigarette use among teenagers. In that same study, according to the Connecticut Mirror, uh, this year, the state, I shouldn't say that study, but this year the State Board of Education released a report showing a six-fold increase in the number of suspensions and expulsions related to vaping over the prior year. So when we hear that, it seems that you may be providing guidance to school districts, but students are still being uh, punished for e-cigarette use? Well, I think that the schools don't have a lot of options open to them of what to do with these kids. Um, So, um, you know, they have had policies in place where tobacco use is not allowed on school grounds. Um, And so, but some of those kids have gone on to be given some cessation resources or attempts at having programs. Is that hard for kids? It is. Kids really do not do well with cessation programs in general. You know, historically, um, it has been difficult, and there actually really aren't much for evidence-based tobacco use cessation programs for teenagers. You can, you can, oh, I yeah. want to take a quick call yeah. as we talk about mm-hmm. vaping here on Where We Live. Uh, Barbara Walsh in studio with me from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. You can join us, 888-720-9677. Uh, that's 888-720-9677, especially if you vape or if you're a parent of a child and you worry about e-cigarette use uh, among him or her. Uh, Tom's calling from Manchester. Tom, go ahead. Good morning. Um, I'm calling, I guess, bringing in a different um, perspective. Um, perspective um, in Manchester, and we're trying to, uh, you know, deal with it. I brought it up to our last Board of Education meeting because uh, I feel like uh, what's in the products is um, acetone, and another version of getting a different type of high is what they call dripping, if you use the liquid part of it, and unfortunately, sometimes there's been different type of inhalation or fires going on, so I think it is an addictive product. Um, One nicotine, whether you chew it or... uh, you know, smoke it in different way. And that includes marijuana, too, to get a different type of uh, of high. But I think, you know, no matter where it affects the inner city or the suburbs, it's a, it's a problem. And I think getting parental involvement or guardian involvement in there, too, that's what's missing from the piece of the puzzle. You know, parents smoke or don't smoke to talk to their children or, or uh, you know, about it, because I think it could be a generational thing, number one, and peer pressure, probably positive peer pressure. We're saying with cessation, it's a problem to get off. So I feel like it's a major problem that the media has covered. I think in August 30th edition of Time magazine was a cover story on it. It's right out on the on um, newsstands right now called Vaping, the August 30th edition of Time magazine and other newspapers, USA Today, and what they're doing in other states. So that's, that's a start, but I think it starts from within, and uh, whether you use snuff or snooze, uh, it's addictive, and uh, how do you get off of it? It's an individual uh, issue, and you're right, freedom of choice, but in the end, it can cost you, uh, you know, health-wise with lung disease and et cetera. No matter if you talk to a youth, uh, that's a decision that he or she is going to make if well, they go on to college mm-hmm. or in the workplace. Well, thank you, Tom, for raising those points. I want to have Barbara Walsh from the Department of Public Health address what you uh, just mentioned. Well, just definitely with getting the parents involved. And, we, you know, we've been trying to get the message out to parents so that they understand what it is their kids are doing. Um, you know, kids inherently like to hide stuff from their parents. So there's a lot of misinformation and uh, no information that some parents have with what it is that's going on. And the schools 
have been working with them. We also have a faction of parents that, though, um, you know, even though the school has a policy in place, say they confiscate the materials from the teens, um, the parents are incensed that those have been confiscated, and in fact, they'll turn around and give them back to the kids, or and and also purchase products for them. So it really is kind of a whole community mm-hmm. that needs to be involved in order to um, get get these policies in place and help these teens get off. I wanted to bring back into the uh, discussion Dr. Andrew Highland, who's with us by phone, a public health researcher at Roswell, Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Dr. Highland, how, how big of an issue is this among teens? Uh, we heard um, some stats here in the state of Connecticut, but nationwide, um, can you talk us through some of the trends you're seeing? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, you know, when it comes to e-cigarette use, among young people, we've seen dramatic increases. Uh, the most recent data from the National Youth Tobacco Survey uh, puts 27.5% of high school students have vaped, uh, any, used an e-cigarette in the past month, in the 30 days prior to the interview. Uh, given that just about 10 years ago, uh, hardly anybody was using e-cigarettes, a new product, uh, seeing this kind of dramatic increase uh, the data, this is among high school students. Uh, we see uh, increases also among young adults. Among older adults, the e-cigarette use has increased some, but has been uh, a little bit flatter. Uh, and we see different reasons for use uh, across the different ages. Um, young people tend to report that flavors are the number one reason why they choose to use an e-cigarette. Uh, older adults uh, are more likely to say that they're using e-cigarettes to try to get off of cigarette smoking uh, as a way to help them cut down or to sw- uh, switch completely uh, or, or to quit. Uh, so there's a you know, dynamic uh, uh, landscape. We've got different products, as Barbara had mentioned, uh, some of the products that look like cigarettes, some of the more recent products like Juul, uh, which has a better chemistry. They've, they've figured out the chemistry better to deliver nicotine more efficiently. Uh, the flavors are appealing. Uh, some of the cost structures where the, the, the pricing of different products uh, uh, p- makes them more appealing uh, relative to other nicotine choices. So, the, you know, the trend is up for kids. Uh, the trend is for cigarette smoking, the trend is down. Uh, but for e-cigarette use, the trend is up. And uh, it remains to be seen, really, what these current events that are happening in the public education and awareness and a policy environment uh, that will be uh, coming uh, subsequent to this, how that will ultimately impact uh, those uh, use rates. You mentioned that cigarette use, that traditional cigarette use among uh, young people is down. Do we know how far down and any lessons that can be learned with um, the, the fact that cigarette use ha- has declined in recent years? Uh, yeah, great question in there. So the cigarette smoking rates are dramatically down uh, since, say, 2000, maybe an 80% reduction. Uh, I know in New York we're looking at about an 85% reduction in youth cigarette smoking from 2000, so over a 20-year period, um, not quite 20-year period. Uh, but more recently, the e-cigarette rates have, have gone up, so the net, the total number of kids that are using nicotine has been kind of flat. Um, some lessons learned from that. I would say that comprehensive is necessary, comprehensive with a big C. Uh, so what does that mean? It means public education, uh, parental involvement, policy involvement, 
uh, cessation assistance. It needs to be applied across all of the products. Uh, any individual uh, rule, legislation, policy that's focused just on one component of it is likely just to drive people into other areas, into looking for, to use other products or, or other things. So the comprehensive is very important. So as the policies are considered going forward, uh, really looking at uh, that comprehensive aspect. And then what, what are the elements within that comprehensive thing? I would say four, four things, four A's. Um, it, Products should be uh, less affordable. They should be less accessible to young people. They should be less appealing, to, uh, particularly to young people. And the most dangerous products should be less addictive mm -hmm. so that consumers really do have a free choice uh, to stop using them uh, because when you're gripped by addiction, you lose that free choice. That's Dr. Andrew Hyland, public health researcher at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. Uh, we want to thank you, Dr. Hyland, for joining us uh, and your comments about uh, how uh, policies should uh, uh, come uh, down the line, uh, considering uh, these issues that have popped up in recent months. A great transition as we talk uh, coming up after the break about this temporary ban of all vaping products in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, we also want to hear from our listeners uh, what you think of that strategy or vaping in general, especially if you are someone who uses e-cigarettes, the number 888-720-9677. Dr. Hyland, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My in-studio guest, Barbara Walsh from the Connecticut Department of Public Health, will stay with us and will be joined after the break by the cannabis reporter at the Boston Globe, Dan Adams. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about vaping today. States have been responding differently after public health officials nationwide have reported hundreds of cases of severe lung illnesses in the young and the old that are related to vaping. And last week, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker made some news related to e-cigarette use. Joining us now to tell us more by phone, Dan Adams, cannabis reporter for the Boston Globe and author of This Week in Weed newsletter. Dan, welcome back. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. So tell us about Governor Baker. Um, how has he responded uh, to, again, this uh, public health crisis uh, springing up around the country? Well, this really caught people by surprise. And uh, what Governor Baker did was impose a four-month ban on all vaping products. Um, so it's very indiscriminate. It includes uh, recreational marijuana vapes. It includes medical marijuana vapes. It includes nicotine vapes. Um, and, uh, you know, there are concerns up here that this ban, uh, you know, while there are very real health concerns that need to be addressed, could be, you know, pushing people into the illicit market. And as your guest indicated, you know, while we don't know the exact cause of all this yet, that is where suspicions are sort of centering in terms of these acute lung illnesses um, that we're seeing pop up. That it's probably related to some of these illicit marijuana cartridges that are made by underground manufacturers who may cut those products with uh, additives or, uh, you know, chemicals to dilute them, to spread the batch out or to make the oil appear uh, lighter in color, um, things like that. So it is important to note that, um, you know, no one is really looking at marijuana itself or THC itself. While, you know, while it's not healthy to smoke uh, marijuana, human beings have been doing that for thousands of years. And we haven't seen, you know, people in their early 20s dropping dead of acute uh, 
ailments, while there may be some risk over time. Um, and, and so the suspicions are really focused on these additives. But again, nonetheless, um, given the uncertainty around this, uh, Baker's administration decided to ban all vapes uh, until there's more information about what's going on. And what has been the response? Uh, obviously, our listeners know that um, that Massachusetts has recreational marijuana. I know the, the cannabis, cannabis Control Board, or, or whatever the authority is called, they're not pleased by uh, Governor Baker's uh, ban, temporary ban on all vaping products. Well, right. I, I don't know that the agency, uh, the Cannabis Control Commission here in Massachusetts, has taken a stance as a whole. Um, one of its members, uh, Shalene Title, has been extremely outspoken uh, against the ban. Um, again, for the reason I articulated that with it seems like the illicit market is where the risk is the highest. That's where we don't know who the producers are. We don't know what they're putting into these products. We don't know where they're making them, how they're making them, where they're being sold, to whom they're being sold. And if we wanted to go uh, you know, trace all that down, uh, it would almost be like a criminal investigation. Whereas if you had a regulated marijuana store, um, you know, we know who runs those stores. We know where their products are made. We could recall those products if we needed to. Um, and so, again, she's been very outspoken, um, just trying to warn people away, um, you know, from overreacting, I think, to this uh, in a way that could actually endanger public health. And so that's that's what remains to be seen. And, and as your guest uh, uh, brought up earlier, there's some concern that this could drive nicotine vape users back to combustible cigarettes, which are um, obviously extremely dangerous. Um, and uh, I talked to a convenience store owner yesterday. He owns a chain of stores in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Um, and he said that his New Hampshire locations, he's seen a very large uptick in e-cigarette sales as people from Massachusetts sort of stream over the border to get their fix. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, he's seeing uh, what had otherwise been a 10% decline this year in combustible cigarette sales, that's now leveling off or even going back up um, as people switch back to cigarettes now that vapes are no longer available. That's Dan Adams, who's the cannabis reporter for the Boston Globe. Uh, We're learning about this temporary ban on all vaping products by Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. Uh, We actually got a a tweet from Joan who writes, CDC doesn't know why people are dying from vaping. How can they say it's safer than regular cigarettes? So let's clarify that for Joan. Uh, Barbara Walsh, who's with us in studio again from the tobacco control program, uh, why uh, e-cigs have been marketed, been sold as being safer than cigarettes? So I, I, I know the CDC has, their messaging is they don't want people to go back to combustible cigarettes. There's some, and uh, we, we still have limited evidence on the long-term health effects of e-cigarettes. So, um, but we know what the harm is from the combustible cigarettes, and that's where the confusion comes in on how to message it to tell people that, well, we know combustible cigarettes are really bad. We think that the e-cigarettes are not as bad as using combustible cigarettes, and that's why they're recommending the people not transition back to combustible cigarettes. And what's your take on this uh, temporary ban in Massachusetts as uh, Connecticut's Governor Ned Lamont is speaking with New York Governor uh, Cuomo about vaping products, but also considering the recreational marijuana market, Barbara? Yeah. uh, So I know that they are looking at um, different options that are available to them. Um, And I I know that he has um, said that he wants to more thoroughly decide on a course of action Um, rather than going with the ban. 
Uh, this is where we live. Uh, again, we're talking about vaping, uh, learning about uh, Massachusetts' uh, temporary ban. Uh, Dan Adams, uh, you mentioned uh, that you've been speaking with uh, convenience store owners and, and seeing uh, how consumers are reacting. Uh, but I'm just curious, the recreational marijuana industry, uh, you know, how have they responded and, um, and talked about their products uh, to their customers? Sure. Well, the recreational marijuana operators, uh, you know, vapes and other concentrates make up about 19% of their sales uh, as of last week. Uh, and that's come down a little bit as consumers have heard about these concerns in the media over the safety of these products. Um, I mean, it's important to say that, you know, regulated marijuana products are certainly uh, far safer than what's available on the street. They've been tested for solvents, for heavy metals. Uh, the marijuana that went into them was tested for pesticides, things like that. So certainly some of the risk has been attenuated through regulation. Um, what is surprising to me is that the state of Massachusetts has very few rules about what additives can be put even in uh, the regulated uh, vapes, however. Um, again, no, none of those products have been linked to any of the acute illnesses that we're talking about here, but I think that consumers are starting to ask a lot of questions about things like propylene glycol, uh, which is an additive that uh, is present in some of the cheaper vapes. Again, not linked to any of these acute health effects, and certainly those products are far safer than illicit ones that might contain the vitamin E acetate, which people think could be linked to these very acute illnesses. Um, but the industry is very upset, and, and medical marijuana patients are very upset. It's not just about a loss of revenue here. This is about people's health. And there are people who treat chronic pain or seizure disorders, and they like the vape because it delivers uh, THC very quickly um, and in small amounts, and it, and it has a predictable effect compared to taking an edible or something like that. It doesn't smell as bad as combusting uh, marijuana, and they may use that in the morning um, in order to have a seizure-free day and be able to work. And so they really are uh, angry that they feel like their medicine has been lumped in with these illicit marijuana cartridges. And so there is an effort underway by the industry and by patients and other advocates um, to push back against this. And I think that part of the problem here um, is exactly what you just mentioned, which is about the inconsistency of the messaging. Uh, we have federal health officials, state health officials, saying really conflicting things about what's dangerous, what people need to watch out for. Is it the flavored nicotine vapes? Is it the jewels? Is it all vapes? As some people have said, just don't vape at all. Um, and, and people are confused, and they're seeking clear information. And I, I will say I commend uh, Connecticut for putting out information about where its cases took place and how old the people were. Um, in Massachusetts, we've been slow to get that data from the government. I want to uh, thank you, Dan Adams, for raising those points. Uh, we did get a, a call uh, earlier in the show. She wasn't able to hold Ellen. And this is directed uh, to Barbara Walsh, who's with the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Uh, just a couple of minutes left. But uh, she writes, she is a medical marijuana patient. And she wants to know what testing has been done on medical marijuana products in Connecticut. What can you uh, tell her and others, Barbara? Well, I know, unfortunately, I'm not really well aware of the, I mean, I know that the medical marijuana dispensaries are, are regulated in Connecticut by the Department of Consumer Protection, and I know that their um, product has some, um, there are some rules, at least for uh, growing and producing and packaging and selling them, um, but I really can't discuss fully the answer to your question. So something that uh, we can follow up I with do. with the Department of Consumer Protection? Right. They're, they have the mar medical marijuana program. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I do know that we particularly want to warn people about like the off the street purchases and those items because we do know that the medical marijuana industry has some regulation, especially in, and oversight in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. But earlier you weren't able to tell us uh, definitively if uh, any of the people that were ill in Connecticut have any have been tied to, to a medical marijuana dispensary. Why is Correct. that? Because um, unfortunately, everybody has so many products that they've used. You know, if they just used one product and they got sick, we'd be able to say, okay, well, there's something in that product that made them sick, but that hasn't been the case. Um, it's been a, a variety of, of things that have been vaped. And then trying to figure out exactly which one of those things it is that made them sick has very difficult. Uh, before we run out of time, we heard from a Hartford City Council member, Dr. Larry Deutsch, uh, who says uh, Hartford's actually considering a proposed ordinance to ban on uh, the sale of vaping equipment and substances and the sale of e-cigarettes with or without flavoring. Uh, he adds, we know well that they initially they may purchase these things elsewhere, but we mustn't follow our obligation uh, to protect the public health and despite uh, big business and political opposition. What's your response to a city uh, considering a, a ban on these products, Barbara? Well, um, I, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, Dr. Deutsch is a pediatrician, and so he comes from an area of safety. Um, I do want to uh, take a moment to say that since it's October 1st, we're, you know, very glad that our Tobacco 21 law is going into place today because we do hope that that will also help to restrict the access to kids for to tobacco products. Um, There's also a tax that's going on, um, e-cigarettes today, which also will help with uh, to increase the cost a bit. And the more expensive these items are, the less likely kids are to purchase them. And so, um, you know, the state has gone more from this uh, statewide policy perspective trying to help with the reducing the youth use. Uh, Barbara Walsh is supervisor of the Department of Public Health Tobacco Control Program. Barbara, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you. And as always, it's always a pleasure to talk to Dan Adams, cannabis reporter for the Boston Globe and author of This Week in Weed newsletter. Dan, thanks for calling in. Thanks, Lucy. Uh, Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Thanks to Lydia Brown on the phones. Kyan Wolf is our technical producer. You can learn more about the show. Just download Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening.